Travel, Truth and Lies Unmasked. Written by Martin Lindstrom. Read by Alan Medcroft. Chapter 1. The world has changed, and so will you. You and I touch our nose, ears and eyes 16 to 23 times an hour. That's equivalent to over 250 times on an average day. If you happen to be sequestered in a sanitised, perfectly sterile room with filtered air and water, religiously controlled food and immaculately screened visitors, then touching your nose, ears and eyes is not a big deal. But who wants to live in there? Bacteria and viruses have always surrounded us. In fact, the human microbiome contains an estimated 39 trillion microbial cells, including bacteria, more than the 30 trillion human cells that make up the human body. The other day, I saw a flashy TV commercial for the latest, greatest, super-duper vacuum cleaner, capable of sucking up every single pathogen, as well as Lego bricks, and instantly transforming my carpet into a perfectly clean landing strip. 99.99% free from deadly bacteria. Of course, the leftover 0.01% equals 1 billion bacteria, and even that may not be the essential point. What if eliminating microbes from our environment isn't important? What if it's even harmful? Without bacteria, we wouldn't be able to survive. Despite what Hollywood, social media, and even those 99.99% bacteria-free ads may tell us, microbes are responsible for building our immune systems, preventing disease, digesting food, and even affecting our behaviour. They're a huge part of the reason that we, as the human species, even exist today. However, they've also been an undeniable danger from ancient plagues to the famous 1918 influenza to today's COVID-19. If you live in New York City and want to play it safe by never boarding a plane again, your risk of dying from COVID-19 at the height of the pandemic would have been about double that of the mortal risk to a US soldier stationed in Afghanistan in 2010. If you lived in Michigan during the pandemic, your risk of dying from COVID-19 would approximate that of driving a motorcycle 70 kilometres every day. Living in Maryland during these COVID-19 times would be roughly as risky as doing one skydiving jump a day for the duration. Or, stated another way, for someone infected with COVID-19, the risk of death is comparable to the chances of dying on a climb to over 26,000 feet in the Himalayas. These numbers are based on the entire US population, assuming an average age of 38. For older folk, the fatality rate could be as much as 10 times higher, slightly less than flying four Royal Air Force bombing missions over Germany during World War II. The Japanese are probably the most hygiene-obsessed population in the world. They seem to live and breathe the essence of cleanliness in every step and every breath they take. Once, when I was visiting a Japanese hot spring, onsen in Japanese, the kimono-dressed hostess carefully instructed me to use a specially dedicated pair of indoor shoes. But she didn't stop there. That pair of shoes was only to be used until I had arrived at the front door to my room. Then, another pair would take over. 
A third pair of shoes was waiting at the entrance to my bathroom, and a fourth pair was neatly placed just in front of the toilet. If you're raised with the routine of casually changing shoes for every room you enter, I'm sure this would be like navigating a simple walk in a park. But for a non-Japanese like me, who'd had a bit too much sake, missing a couple of shoe-changing routines on the way to the toilet turned the entire onsen on its head. I remember the look of horror on my hostess's face when she caught me wearing the wrong pair of shoes. For the Japanese, raised with fundamentals of health and safety, this lifestyle is as normal as you and me brushing our teeth every night before going to bed. These routines are so ingrained in Japanese society that wearing a protective mask when you have a cold is just as commonplace as coughing into a hand in the West. Do I need to point out which of those two options is more efficient at stopping the spread of the virus? As of the 19th of May 2020, the UK had suffered 35,341 COVID-19 deaths, compared to Japan's 768, though Japan's population is twice that of the United Kingdom. Ensuring that a population of 126 million people thinks and breathes hygiene with every breath they take didn't happen overnight. It has direct links back to the Emperor of Japan and the invention of sushi. Observing the dilemma of feeding his inland population with ocean-caught fish, despite the long, warm-weather journey from the sea leading to a risk of food poisoning, the Japanese introduced narizushi in the 8th century. Narizushi, the most primitive, earliest form of sushi, is a world away from your California rolls and sliced sashimi. Primarily a means of food preservation, it came with a bonus a population with the highest average life expectancy, the oldest population in the world, and a COVID-19 death toll nearly 44 times lower than that of the United Kingdom. Unless you're Japanese, having learned to bow rather than shake hands, willing to try the shoe trick, comfortable wearing a mask in public, then you have a slightly different, somewhat clumsy relationship with hygiene. Attention to sanitation doesn't play much of a role in our daily lives. According to a 2020 study, 40% of Americans don't always wash their hands after going to the bathroom, and 33% don't use soap at all. I consider these disturbing statistics given that 80% of communicable diseases can be transferred by touch. Unlike the Japanese, we shake hands. We touch the pump at the gas station even though 71% of gas pump handles are crawling with pathogens. We walk with a firm grip on the handle of a shopping trolley, ignoring the fact that thousands of other shoppers have touched the same handle. As a lady I once interviewed pointed out, I noticed how another family with a sick two-year-old kid embraced the shopping trolley. That trolley was next in line for me to pick up. The introduction of touchscreen technology hasn't been beneficial either. We use a touchscreen to get cash from the ATM, check in when flying, check out through immigration, order food at McDonald's and Burger King, purchase tickets for the train, and obtain information at the information desk in the mall. We tap and touch those displays on which thousands of previous customers have left behind their invisible fingerprints and lively germs. Without touch, 
our society simply couldn't work. Until now, that is. By now, we've all become painfully familiar with COVID-19. You're tired of reading about it, aren't you? You're tired of hearing about it, tired of having your life turned upside down by it. I know I am. This is true even though we know it's the most important thing going on in the world. If you're a business person, I'd be willing to bet that every conference call you've attended over the last few months has opened with that very topic. It's replaced the obligatory small talk about the weather and Donald Trump. Now we've reached the point where we're no longer talking about the number of fatalities. Instead, we're talking about the agony of this seemingly endless lockdown and the newly essential questions. What does the future hold for us? What will the future look like? Here's my point. Though COVID-19 may not entirely disappear, eventually it will surely become a shadow of itself. But please don't be fooled. Unless our behaviours change dramatically, our society will remain vulnerable to this, or another virus, paralysing everything we do and impacting the lives of everyone we love. Quite frankly, we've been sitting on a ticking time bomb for decades. The epidemiologists told us a pandemic was not only a possibility, but a sure thing. Even so, we've placed the topic of a pandemic at the bottom of our to-do list while attending to more urgent, more attention-grabbing, quite frankly, more profitable issues higher up the list. Not that we didn't have plenty of warning. Most recently, the 2009 H1N1 virus, also called the swine flu, infected some 2 billion people on planet Earth. That's billion with a B, causing the deaths of an estimated 203,000 people the first year. The fact is that we've created a world where vulnerability is baked into the cake. Everything in this world is intertwined and interconnected. In the US alone, every year more than $1.1 trillion are spent on travel. Every year, Americans take 2.3 billion flights. The reality is that, until now, our society hasn't been built to deal with a killer virus. Consider this. In 1918, the biggest pandemic in history, the Spanish flu, which ironically originated not in Spain, but most likely in New York or Kansas, infected half a billion people, nearly one third of the world's population, and killed somewhere between 50 million and 100 million people. This occurred even though the flu broke out during a time when we were travelling a tiny percent of what we do today. Remember, these were the days of Titanic. On land, walking, the horse and the steam engine were still the only real means of travel. This only really changed later in the decade, thanks to Henry Ford and his revolutionary mass production techniques. It's no surprise that the world has changed drastically since then, providing us with incredible labour-saving devices, communication technologies and computing tools, but also creating unforeseen consequences. Today in the United States, for instance, American-grown food travels between 1,500 and 2,500 miles from farm to table, as much as 25% farther than only two decades ago. On top of that, another 20% of the US food supply is imported, with 17 million hotel rooms hosting 43.5 billion stays per year across the globe, 
and 15 million restaurants visited billions of times annually, we've built the perfect foundation for a pandemic. It's waiting for us right in front of our fingers, mouths and noses. Sure, we can lock ourselves inside hoping a vaccine will appear and allow us to re-engage with a newly safe world. But science, despite heroic efforts by thousands of researchers all around the globe, is still in the early stages of understanding the coronavirus. With only one vaccine of limited use so far emerging from more than 125 preclinical COVID-19 trials, the reality is that a COVID-19 vaccine may be a long time coming. The reason why is simple. As Dr. Seema Yasmin, director of the Stanford Health Communication Initiative notes, the fastest vaccine we previously developed was for mumps, and that took four years to develop. Typically, it takes 10 to 15 years to develop a vaccine, so 12 to 18 months would be record-breaking. A second reality is that we've most likely only witnessed a trial run for another virus to appear. Does this mean that, for the rest of our lives, travel is out of the question? That you can forget about visiting your nearby restaurant, travelling to the far side of the world, going to business meetings in another city or country? not to mention enjoying a lovely overnight stay with your loved one. Not at all. If you're a frequent business traveller, or just a leisure traveller, if you like to visit restaurants from time to time, or if you enjoy staying at hotels, then you'll simply need to adopt new behaviours and make them part of your daily routines. I'm not going to claim this will be easy. Remember my shoes at the Japanese onsen? you'll need to fine-tune your behaviour. Just as you know to look left, then right when crossing the street, just as you watch out for seemingly insignificant signs as you visit hotels, board planes, or dine in restaurants, we'll need to learn to attend to new hints, which will be essential to our personal safety. We'll need to accustom ourselves to new guides to navigating a world in which one must expect a virus to always be present, in one shape or another. Over the next pages, I intend to help you do exactly that. I'll provide you with a guide to help you navigate an unfamiliar, somewhat scary, but not impossible new world. Travel, Truth and Lies Unmasked has been brought to you by Intertech ProTech, world leaders in health, safety and well-being assurance. Discover more at protech.com.